You are now listening to the Think 180 podcast from Inc. 180 Ministries in Chicago, Illinois. Hello and welcome. Please stand by. Can I kick it? Yes, you can. Can I kick it? Yes, you can. Can I kick it? Can I kick it? Can I kick it? Can I kick it? What's up, everybody? This is Chris from Inc. 180. This is episode 14 of the Think 180 podcast. Joined, as always, by Cal Craning. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Started things off with an old-school Tribe Called Quest, man. Mm-hmm. I wore that CD out, I think, twice. I think I bought three of those. But <laughs> it's a good one. Always good to go old-school, start the morning off. Good morning, everybody. We've got a lot to talk about today. Um, happy you joined us. And, and thanks to everybody who's been spreading the word about the podcast. And we're getting a lot of really positive emails and people checking it out and uh, kind of getting a, a different view of the ministry and different side of things going on. So thank you very much. Keep sharing it. We appreciate you. But uh, first and foremost, we're going to kick things off today and uh, recognize that today is Veterans Day. And uh, just say thank you to everybody that's ever put on the uniform to protect our freedoms and we truly appreciate each and every one of you for what you did in the past. Those of you that are serving now and in the future, thank you guys very much, and God bless you for what you're doing. It's, uh, it's always a a special day, you know, for me. I my grandfather was in the U.S. Army, and I never got to meet him, unfortunately. And uh, I posted about this this morning. I uh, posted a picture of him. His name is William John McGuire. And he was in the U.S. Army during World War II, and uh, decorated veteran and uh, came home and I never got to meet him because he passed from leukemia after you know everything fighting in the in World War II some of the craziest battles in World War II he survived and comes home and gets leukemia but um, it's it's interesting though because you know obviously we've got a huge family who tells me a lot about him and I've grown up hearing all these stories and stuff and he was he was like the only person in our whole family besides me that's an artist. And uh, so I, I feel like a little bit of him lives on through me, even though I never got to meet him. But um, kind of a cool story, uh, the connection to him for, with the ministry, though, is that, you know, I've always been really proud that he served in World War II. And I was always interested in, in learning about World War II and the Holocaust and all that horrible stuff that went along with it. And um, when we started the ministry, I thought about it. I was like, man, how cool would it be? to remove a Holocaust tattoo from a survivor because my grandfather's division was one of the first allied uh, divisions to reach Auschwitz. And uh, I was one of two places where they did those tattoos. And I was like, man, it'd be so cool. It'd be such a cool tribute to my grandfather's memory to be able to remove one of those tattoos. And uh, I thought about it a lot and prayed about it a lot. And, and uh, after we did the documentary, it was probably f- almost three and a half years ago now, we were out in Los Angeles meeting with some TV people about a possible reality show. And ha- I had an opportunity that I'll never forget. I got to, uh, to go meet with a woman named Renee Firestone, who was a survivor of the Holocaust and was at Auschwitz. Uh, she lived in Beverly Hills, California. Um, amazing woman and she invited me and and two of the folks from TLN into her home and we sat there and drank tea in her living room and talked about World War II and the Holocaust and 
and everything. She um she still to this day goes and speaks at the the uh, Simon Wiesenthal Center in in Los Angeles, the Museum of Tolerance, uh, Monday through Friday to educate kids that go there for field trips. She's an amazing woman. She was uh, featured in a documentary that Steven Spielberg did about the Holocaust. Oh, really? Yeah, just amazing woman. So we were sitting there for a few hours and just, I was just listening to her. I was kind of just soaking up her, her stories and, you know, just this wisdom from this amazing woman. And she asked about the ministry and I told her what we were doing and she was really interested in it. And she, I'm sitting there the whole time staring at this tattoo on her forearm. Right. And just like, it was like I was sitting there with history, you know? Right. And I had told her after I told her kind of what we were doing and what we were about, about this this dream that I had about wanting to remove one of those tattoos for a Holocaust survivor. And she looked at me, and I'll never forget the way she looked at me. And uh, she said, oh, she said, you're going to have a really hard time finding someone willing to do that. I said, I was like, oh, why is that? And she said, well, <clears throat> we consider it to be like a, a badge of honor now. Like, we survived. We're the last of a very small group of people that are still alive that, that have that. And uh, it all made sense very, very quickly. And I told her I completely respected that. Um, and it, it made sense the way she had explained it. Um, <clears throat> so I turned that dream into something different. Um, now, my, my f- people ask me all the time, like, what's your favorite tattoo to remove? You know, they, uh, they probably assume it's sex trafficking, which, of course, I love removing sex trafficking branding tattoos. Mm-hmm. But my favorite tattoos to cover and remove are swastikas. There's just something in me that gets really excited when I get to cover up one of those hideous symbols. And, you know, of course, we've, we've been able to do quite a few of those. Actually, I have another one this week. So right. um, it's just always kind of a tribute to, uh, to my grandfather, who, unfortunately, I never got to meet, and to all those who fought alongside him and, you know, with him and uh, in, in the military before him and after him. So uh, just wanted to, again, say thanks to all our veterans and uh, go out and do something nice for your vets, not just today, but every day. They, uh, they do so much to afford us the freedoms that uh, we sometimes take for granted. So let's not take those for granted. Let's, uh, let's honor those folks the, the way they should be honored. All right. So this week was rough. Uh, <laughs> If you guys follow us on Facebook, and you probably do, that's probably how you heard about the podcast. Um, and if you don't, please check us out on Facebook, Inc. 180. Uh, Monday was a, a very difficult day. I got a phone call at about 7.15 in the morning um, on Monday, which is usually my, my you know, quote, day off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really have days off, um, and that's okay. But uh, I got a phone call from an organization that I work with, and they said that they had a young woman that was relocating um, to another state for a long-term aftercare uh, program that was a survivor of human trafficking, and would I be able to help get rid of this tattoo on her neck? And I said, yeah, absolutely. What time, when, you know, when do you guys want to do it? What day do you want to do it? And they're like, can we come today? I said, yes. What time? We'll be there at nine o'clock. Cool. So, uh, jumped in the shower, cruised over here to the shop. I mean, the shop's only like five minutes from home. And, uh, I met Jenna. 
And if you saw the video that I posted on Monday, I, um, I think you got a little bit of an insight in just how hard this, this stuff is mentally, uh, as a, as a service provider. Um, at least I hope you did. Um, because it was absolutely excruciating to, to sit there and listen to her story. Now, <laughs> I'm not saying that to, so you sit there and say, Oh, poor Chris, that is not what <laughs> I'm saying. Okay. It's not about me. It's about this, this poor young woman. And Oh, she's a girl. She's 15. Uh, just, just getting ready to turn 16. And, um, she told me a bit of her story and kind of at the end of the day, uh, we were talking and she said, Hey, I listened to your podcast on the way here. We were listening the the social worker that was bringing her had been listening to it. And she's like, Oh, this is Chris's podcast. You listen to it before we get there. Uh-huh. And uh, she told me, she's like, I loved it. It was really cool. And I was like, well, hey, if a 15 year old person thinks that I'm somewhat cool, that's a pretty good thing. <laughs> right, right? Right on. So I'm cool with that. And uh, she said, will you share my story on your podcast? Like looks kind of surprised. I was like, yeah, yeah, if you want me to, I definitely will. So I want to share it with you. And uh, she was born in Florida. And uh, when she was nine years old, her parents were involved in a, quote, religious cult. And uh, she was sold to a child pornography ring when she was nine years old. And... Uh, she said she has blocked out a big majority of what happened to her mentally, um, but she knows that through counseling that she's going to continue to receive, she's going to unearth a lot of ugly stuff. Uh, but she did remember some stuff, and um, just for her safety, I won't. Re- and it's it's stuff you, you don't want to hear anyway. It was disgusting, but. Um, uh, she was telling me about when she was involved in the whole child pornography ring towards the end of it, there were police officers and lawyers and doctors and businessmen that would pay the owner of the child pornography ring to film them having sex with her and then give them the video so they could have it for their personal collection. Mm. And it wasn't just her. It was other kids that were involved in it. Some were younger than her. Some were boys. Some were girls. And I wanted to be sick. Like, I was, thought I was going to be physically ill. Um, she told me when she was 12, she was traded to a trafficker. And I said, what do you mean you were traded? She said, they brought a three-year-old girl to the guy that was in charge of this porn ring and the pimp took her (laughs) and again I wanted to be sick and it's just it was two and a half hours of the heaviest stuff I've heard Um, she was trafficked from New Orleans to Houston to Oklahoma City Little Rock Arkansas and then up to Memphis uh, where she was recovered in an operation um, she, by federal law enforcement. She was on uh, advertised on Backpage.com. She was forced to start dancing in a club in Memphis, Tennessee, a strip club in Memphis, Tennessee. And a customer is responsible for saving her life because there was a, a, a guy in the strip club that saw her and thought, 
there's no way this girl's old enough to be working here. You have to be 18. There's no way this girl's 18. Mm-hmm. And called one of his friends that worked for the local police department, then reported it to the um, human trafficking, national human trafficking line because he had a little bit of an education on human trafficking, yet he was still going to strip clubs, but whatever, right. no uh-huh. judgment. Right. Um, he said, you know, this, this girl just looks too young, and they, they found her. And they found three others that were with her at the same time and recovered them. And, you know, it's, it's just disgusting. Like the stuff that she was saying, stuff that went on in the strip club. Like, and that's, that's not stuff that's new to me. I've heard a lot of stories about trafficking situations um, going on inside strip clubs. And we've talked about that. But um, the pimp tattooed his name on her neck, on the side of her neck. And, of course, that's something that we see fairly commonly. And she told me, and I've heard this only a couple of other times, um, because a lot of the Johns that are out there looking for younger um, girls or boys, they don't care that they look young. That's what they want. That's what they're targeting. Um, But her pimp in particular tattooed his name on the side of her neck so she would look older and appear older. And she said that was so that she could work in the strip clubs. Because there were a couple strip clubs that turned her away and said, no, you're too young. And she's like, I have a tattoo. You have to be 18 to get a tattoo. I'm 18. I just don't have my ID. And so that was why this particular pimp tattooed his name on her. And also the, the normal reasons to just show her that she's a piece of property. Um, but here, here's the, the craziest thing is her birthday is today as we record this and you know it's interesting people that look at the freedom tree in the back room you know i I usually put it in there on the videos or i post pictures when we're uh having someone add their handprints i didn't because she was under 18 but um it is a sobering wall to look at and and i look at every one of those handprints on that wall and i can tell you all their stories i can i can remember all their faces I remember their names. I remember their spirit. Um, So for her, (laughs) just pray for Jenna. Uh, This young girl is going to go through years and years and years of therapy and aftercare help. Um, I hope that she sticks with that and doesn't, you know, one of the things that I fear (laughs) and I, I don't, I certainly don't want to compare my mental health situation to that of a survivor of sex trafficking. Please don't misinterpret that. But I myself in my therapy have gotten to points where I feel like, oh, I'm good. I don't, I don't really need this anymore. So I stop going. Um, and then a, a period of time will go by and I will be reminded of why I need to go. Um, and this is something that we see, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute too. It's actually a, a lead into my one of my next topics. But you know, sometimes we think we're okay, and the the fact of the matter is we need a lot more. And this young woman is going to need a lot of help going forward. So I'm just praying that she thrives in her her new situation. It's an amazing program that she's going to. She's actually there now. Um, we're really excited for her. Um, and it's, it, you know, every time we do one of these, it's just more evidence of just why we need to keep doing what we're doing. It's, 
it's, you know, it's hard. Um, financially right now we are in serious trouble and we, we really are. It's just the truth of the matter. It's our slow time for regular business. Our regular business funds most of the ministry. Donations are, are soft because there's so much going on right now that um, are, is requiring people's you know, attention and donations. And we respect that. I mean, there's a lot of need in the world. That's great. We, we all, we donate to a lot of things and it's just, it's, it's tough right now. But this is a, just a solid, solid reminder of how critical it is to keep things going. Um, I think back to all the times I, I wanted to quit. And I did a speaking engagement the other night. I was talking about that. I'm like, there have been times where I have wanted to throw my hands up in the air and say, I can't, I just can't do this anymore. Somebody else needs to step up and do this. And, you know, it, it's cool to see other organizations starting to emerge. Uh, you know, we always talk about Miami Tattoo Company and my friend Amore and, you know, as she started her stuff and, and how much it's grown and all that's beautiful. And we're seeing some others that are, that are coming alongside and wanting to do it. And we love that, but it's, it's a good reminder why we do it and why, just why we need to keep going and God's making it happen. So, um, I was talking to my wife, uh, my wife was, Lisa was out in California, uh, the earlier part of the week helping out my sister. And uh, she got home. We were talking about Jenna and her her story and this just the situation and um, what it was like sitting and talking with her. And she asked me. She said, "Does she know where her parents are?" And I said, "No." I asked her the same question. She doesn't know if they're dead or alive, and doesn't care, and doesn't want to know. And mm-hmm. she said that uh, she doesn't ever want to know. And you know, she's of course. Who could blame her? She's angry right now. She has a lot of unanswered questions. Mm-hmm. So who knows if that'll change at some point um, and she'll seek them out or, or try to find information. I, I have no idea, but pray for Jenna and uh, all the lost that are, that are just like her out there. We know that there's a lot out there right now that are waiting for that person to, to look at them and be like, something's not right here. We need to report this. Um, you know, we always tell people who are like, well, you know, I get phone calls or I get messages. People are like, well, Chris, you know, I'm not really sure if this is human trafficking. I'm not sure if I should report it. You know, I, like, I don't want to get in trouble for, for being wrong. I want to tell you right now, and I want to give you a phone number. So while I'm talking, go ahead and get a pen or pencil. You're not going to get in trouble. The, these tips are anonymous. If you're wrong, there's no penalty for being wrong. Um, but man, if you're right, you could really save a life or lives. Uh, The number for the human trafficking hotline is 888-373-7888. And it's 24-7, 365. If you see something, say something. Uh, We're going to be doing a show here in the next couple of weeks uh, with some folks from law enforcement who have done some amazing work recently here locally to um, report trafficking and and deal with it. So we're going to be talking about key indicators to look for and um, what to look for, how to report it again. We'll remind you of that. Um, But we can all save somebody, help save somebody like Jenna. It's important. You'd be amazed how many of these investigations that take place and, and recoveries that take place are because some just regular Joe saw something that didn't look right and they made a phone call. 
So God bless you, Jenna, wherever you are. I hope you're listening. Um, we're praying for you and we're with you. We may not be physically there with you, but we're with you in spirit and we'll be praying for you for a long time. So keep moving forward. Take a step every day. We're thinking about you. Moving uh, into the next subject is, is something that I thought about a lot the last couple of weeks. I'm not really sure how I feel about it. Um, I agree with some things. I disagree with some things. And, and we're going to talk about safe houses. Now, we, we personally get to work with some of the best safe houses uh, in the country, in my opinion. Um, Reclaim 13, awesome. We love them. Cherish House, just they do amazing stuff. But then we work, we've had some opportunities to work with, we work with quite a few. Let me say that, okay? And I'm, I'm not going to ever put anybody on blast. But I'm just having this out there as a discussion. And I, I hope some folks are listening that work in this field. We've seen some things recently that are pretty alarming. Uh, when you're working with survivors of human trafficking, you're talking about people who have almost no trust of anybody. They've been lied to. They've been manipulated. They've been brutalized. They've been, you know, um, tortured. They trust really nobody. And oftentimes they don't even trust themselves. Um, and they're being put into a situation where they've, they've likely been recovered by law enforcement who they don't trust because their pimp told them not to trust the cops. and told them that, you know, they paid off the cops and the cops are going to tell the pimp whatever they told the cop. Um, and then they'll have to deal with that. Um, they, they just don't trust, period. And they're being put into a safe house uh, to help get services that they, they really need to start a recovery that sometimes they don't want to start. Sometimes they're not happy that they're there. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't want to be held to the rules of a safe house and they don't want to be told where to go and when to go and who to go with and what to watch on TV and what music they can and can't listen to and when they have to go to church. And that's one of the things I want to talk about. Um, it's a topic that I, uh, I have conversations with people quite often People that are like, well, I don't, I, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I don't go to church. And um, I think people will say that to me to test me to see what kind of Christian I am. Um, am I the kind of Christian that's going to have somebody, regardless of their age or their situation, whether it be a trafficking survivor or somebody just coming in off the street to get a tattoo, am I going to tell them, oh, you're going to hell if you don't go to church or you don't believe in Jesus and, you're, you know, Am I that person? Well, if you follow me, you, you know that I'm not. Um, I'm never going to be the kind of person that tells you what you have to do. Uh, I would rather you learn about my faith and the way that I love Jesus by the way that I talk to you and I interact with you and I respect you. I try to, and uh, you know, I, I'm trying to get a little bit better with this every single day, but like, I try to interact with people the way that Jesus would interact with them. Um, I don't care what you did or what you do. I don't care how you've sinned because I've sinned too. Um, that almost like was like a rhyme. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Settle down Eminem, but uh, (laughs) no, um, it's, 
you know, we're all broken people in our own special way. And, uh, like, I just, I just want to treat people the right way and, and have them, I want people to leave here and go, man, that guy's like a solid Christian. Like if I was a Christian, that's how I would be. And I've had atheists tell me like, uh, or send me messages or emails and they're like, man, like I'm an atheist, but if, if more Christians were like you, I'd be possibly open to talking about it. And I'm like, well, that's, I respect that, right. man. You know, that's all good. Like I have a lot of friends that are different religious backgrounds and, you know, Muslim and Jewish and more like whatever, like everybody has their own thing. And what is alarming and what, what I'm hearing from survivors firsthand is that they're leaving safe houses or they're considering leaving safe houses because religion is being kind of forced onto them. Now, imagine being a survivor of human trafficking, regardless of age, okay? You've been victimized 10, 15, 20 times a day by men. Then if you didn't make enough money that day, you got brutalized and beaten by your pimp or tortured. You were sold between different pimps or traffickers. Um, cops arrested you and treated you a certain way because they thought you were the offender and not a victim. Society looks down upon you because of what you were forced into. People look at it like you made a choice to go and sell your body. Do you really think you would want to go to church? Think about that for a minute. Now, I'm a Christian. I'm proud to be a Christian. I love Jesus more than anything. I can't imagine I would want to go to church if that had happened to me. I don't think I would want to go anywhere if that had happened to me. If that had happened in my life, I would think I would want to curl up in a bed under a down comforter for about a year and not talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. We're seeing an increase in survivors of human trafficking leaving safe house situations on the, of their own accord. They're free to leave. Okay. They're leaving those situations because of the religious aspect of it. I don't think it's wrong that safe houses have a, a Christian, you know, backing or, or a basis at all. I think it's it's great, but I think it's the way that we we share that faith with them. Are we are we sharing faith with them by treating them the way that Jesus would treat them, unconditionally love them, not judge them, not tell them where they have to go and when they have to go and how they have to worship and you know you have to raise your hands in the air when they're singing and. I'll, is that what he would do? I, I don't think so. Um, I think he would just come alongside them and, and love them and listen to them and be there for them and be present uh, instead of trying to push things on people. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I've, I've got a young woman that I've been working with. I covered two tattoos on her wrists that her pimp forced onto her. And I'm covering a very large tattoo on the top of her thigh that her, her trafficker forced onto her. And um, it's such a large tattoo, in fact, that the cover-up is taking three sessions to, to deal with it. It's so big. It's probably 12 hours worth of tattooing. Oof. And got through the first two sessions. She's doing great. She's, you know, she's got a job now. She's going to school. 
she's doing really well. And then I get a, a message the other day because her appointment is coming up this Wednesday to finish it up. And I get an email saying, unfortunately, she left the program. I'm like, what do you mean she left the program? Well, she left. No details, no why, how. And I know why. I know what it is. Um, because she had told me some things when she was here. And it, it, I don't, man, I don't, it pisses me off because, you know, you get the, some of these, some of these organizations, and again, I'll never name names, okay? Um, you get some of these organizations that do it so right, and I will name those, Reclaim 13. Okay, I'll shout their name from the rooftop mm-hmm. until the end of time. They do it right. And Dr. Cassandra Ma leads an amazing organization there. But there are some that are just doing it wrong. They got great intentions, the best intentions there are. But their execution is falling short. And I get that. I mean, we've gone through that. We've gone through growing pains. We haven't, we, we continue to refine our practices to make it as, um, positive experience as we can for those that we get to serve and we'll continue to look at that and continue to refine processes uh, uh, processes i've had my eyes open to stuff over the last six years and like hey maybe you know if you could do this a little bit different like cool i I love that feedback this is just me giving those safe houses feedback guys you're doing a lot of things great you're doing a lot of things right a lot you know helping a lot of people doing a lot of the right things but this is one of those ones where we need to look at it. And I'm not saying, you know, don't be a Christian. It, it's weird because it's like, it's a very delicate balance. Like, um, I want Christians to run safe houses and I want them to do it by loving people the way Jesus would. Not by telling them you have to go to church at nine o'clock on Sunday or you're not going to be able to go to a movie night or something. You know what I mean? Treating people like they're five. Um, you know. I understand why safe houses have rules. I have um, heard stories and, you know, Wi-Fi passwords being found out from survivors and getting online and getting on Facebook and talking to old friends. Mm. I understand why they have rules against that. Right. Um, You know, I have heard things like, you know, they can't watch anything that's above a PG rating on a movie. I'm like, well, she's 19. You really think that's going to fly, you know? (laughs) Right. Um, at the end of the day, people, they want the help, but they want a little bit of freedom too. So it's, it's a delicate balance. So, and I don't, I don't, I don't have all the answers. So don't think that I'm beating people up because I have all the answers because I don't, but, uh, you know, I've seen some safe houses are in the city. Some safe houses are in the suburbs. Some safe houses are out on farms, like, you know, 75 miles away from the next person. And I think all those situations have benefits and, and, you know, distractions, but I don't know what the right answer is, but I would love to see, you know what I'd love to see? We see all these conferences on, you know, sex trafficking and stuff, which I love. I I speak at a lot of them. I go to a lot of them if I'm not speaking and I, I continue to learn every, every single day because that learning helps me to be a better service provider to those that we get to help. Um, I would love to see a conference take place of all the safe houses or not all necessarily, but a bunch of the safe houses come together and say, you know what, here's our standard operating procedures for our safe house. What are yours? And let's kind of come up with some best practices. Right. 
instead of hearing what I hear often from social workers that are tied to safe houses, where they're bashing each other to me, telling me, oh, this place does this. And did you hear about this? I don't want to hear about like, I want to hear like what everybody can come together and do, you know, put some safe practices together and best practices to make the best experience for a survivor. Right. And that is tough. It is a tough situation to come up with those best practices because we've talked about this in the past. There's no, um, there's no such thing as like a, nor like an average case, like with a sex trafficking survivor, there's, Mm -hmm. they're all over the board. Right. Um, and their needs are so different case by case, but there's gotta be something that takes place. And I'm talking to some folks to see if we can put a, a conference together where we just come together and I mean, hell I'll, I'll rent a, a room at a hotel, a conference room at a hotel so we can bring people together and talk about it. Cause I think it needs to happen. Um, it, it, I don't know. I mean, I've had, I've had my situations here. I had, uh, I'm not sure if I talked about this before, but I might, but I'm going to talk about it again. Like we have a rule here at Inc. 180 when we're doing any kind of sex trafficking cover up or removal, um, there has to absolutely 100% has to be someone um, that's a caseworker, social worker from the organization that comes with the survivor and they have to stay with them. Two reasons. Uh, we deal with um, survivors that have PTSD a lot. It's pretty normal for them to have some form of PTSD from what they dealt with. Um, and I am not a social worker. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not anything like that. Um, so if they trigger, I want to make sure that they have someone that can absolutely help them immediately to process that. Um, right. And I'm not that guy. The other reason is that I'm a guy and we're working, uh, as far as sex trafficking goes, we've had a couple of male survivors, but predominantly there are female survivors that we're working with who have been brutalized multiple times a day for whatever period of time by men that look just like me. And Mm -hmm. I don't ever want to put myself or my staff uh, in a position where somebody could, somebody that's been brutalized could say that something happened, you know, I don't, I just don't want to put myself or my staff in that position. So, but we've had, or we had a situation where a caseworker brought a survivor here and came in, did all the paperwork, got everything done, got everything set up in the back. And I was getting ready to start. I had to run upstairs to get a roll of paper towels to work on the tattoo. I come back down, social worker's gone. I was like, where did so-and-so go to the survivor? She's like, oh, her parents live here in town, and she had to go pick up a toaster for the house. And she said she'll be back in like 15 minutes. Well, 15 minutes turned into over an hour, and I'm freaking out. Um, The survivor is starting to get kind of concerned, and then I get real concerned when the survivor looks at me and she said, I've been dropped off places like this before and not picked up. Yep. And I'm like, man, I, this is not cool. I was calling the, the director of this organization. I'm like, you need to get her here now. We're going to talk about this. And we did. We had a good conversation. The, the executive director was pretty furious <laughs> about it, too. But uh, anyway, we, we want to help come up with those best practices as a service provider. Um, so if you're out there, you're listening, and you're interested in doing that, and you're involved in an organization, and give me a call, um, 630-554-1404. I'd love to talk to you. 
um, and see if we can make something happen. Speaking of making something happen, um, <laughs> this week, I, we talked about last week. Last week, there were two people arrested at a massage parlor here in Oswego. If you don't know where Oswego is, if, if you don't live here, you may not know where it is. It's a pretty small suburban town uh, southwest of Chicago, about 40, 40 miles out of Chicago. And it's a quiet, it's a beautiful little community. Great people live here. Um, and we, we love living here. But we have like six of these Asian massage parlors that we always talk about. And um, I, you know, I've, I've got a great relationship with the Oswego Police Department, the Kendall County Sheriff's Department. They do amazing work. And, you know, I know that a lot of people have kind of given them information. We, we have too. And they, um, they've been investigating it, did a great job. They made two arrests last week. And then this week they hit two more of these Asian massage parlors and um, filed charges and did great work. And uh, people are, you know, people that are citizens in the community are like, oh my gosh, this really is happening here. Mm. And I said, yeah, <laughs> I've been trying to tell you all that for like six years, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the PD handled it great. And we're excited about that and happy. Um, I, we're also happy that it's opening a lot of people's eyes to the reality that this is going on. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's not just here. It's in, it's in your community too. I guarantee it. Um, there are people in your community buying sex, whether it's, um, at a massage parlor or on backpage.com or on the dark web or whatever it is, people are doing it and it's a reality. And it's a reality that's not just going to fade away. We need to educate each other. We need to talk about it. Uh, we need to educate our kids. And, um, but I, you know, I just wanted to bring that up to say really thanks to our PD. Cause you know, a lot of people, um, a lot of people get onto the cops about this stuff and they're like, why aren't you guys doing something about it? I'm like, guys, it's not that simple. They don't just get to snap their fingers and go, Oh, we're going to arrest you. Cause we think something's going on. They have to like have this, this little thing called evidence. And, uh, it, it takes time. You know, we work with a lot of cops, state, local, federal. And it's one of the biggest frustrations that they deal with is people think it's as simple as snapping your fingers and, you know, you get a bunch of people involved in a Facebook, you know, furor and, you know, worked up into a lather about something that they think is going on. The cops do all the, the legwork and the investigation to say, is this really happening? And if so, what's the best way to address it? Are any of these places tied together? Who are the victims? How do we get to them? Because we don't want this place to just shut down and pop up in the next suburban town, right. you know? Um, so they do a ton of work to make this happen, you know? And the thing that, a couple of things really got under my skin about this, this whole thing the last couple of weeks. But the first is that a lot of people were like, oh man, finally, it's about time. You know, Chris, you've been talking about this for years and they're finally doing something about it. Guys, it, like I said, they have to investigate it. Mm -hmm. It's not that they were sitting on this information. They were investigating it and making sure it wasn't bigger than just these places. Um, and I've had conversations with some of those, those guys that have been working tirelessly on these investigations. So please do not think that because in your town you have an Asian massage place that the cops aren't aware of it and they aren't doing something about it. Um, just know, you know, I mean, bring it to their attention. And, you know, it never hurts if you bring it to their attention. It just 
you know, more affirmation that people are standing up and taking notice, but don't assume that they're not looking at it. Um, so anyway, I'll be, uh, very soon, like in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to bring in a couple of my, my folks from law enforcement to talk about just that, like what goes into a sex trafficking investigation, how long does it take? Um, what are the steps that they're, they're taking? What do they look for? And, um, all kinds of things tied to it. It's going to be a really interesting discussion. I'm excited to do that. Um, and, and let their voice be heard because I, you know, <laughs> I think one of the toughest jobs in America right now is to be a cop on any level. <laughs> it's just, you know, you, you've got cops being judged, you know, thousands of cops being judged by the actions of a few. And, you know, that's not fair. And, uh, we want them to, to know how much we appreciate what they're doing. Their, their job is a thankless job sometimes. And, uh, but we just want to educate folks on that. You know, what is law enforcement doing and, um, how can we help? How can we do more than just complain about it? So we're going to be doing that here really soon. Uh, another man, Oswego was in the news this week. Uh, we had, a um, Oswego man, and I use the word man very loosely there, but uh, only to indicate that he is a male. Uh, 21-year-old man from uh, Oswego here, his name is Chris Morales, was arrested in northern Minnesota, a town, little fishing town called Bemidji, Minnesota, north Minnesota, with a 13-year-old girl who he had met online. Uh, he went up there to, to meet with her and do whatever and uh, was arrested. And, uh, it made the news for sure. You know, it's like, come on guys. Like I talk about this all the time. You know, we teach the social media safety class. We're teaching one tomorrow at two o'clock free of charge. Every month we do it. And if you want one to come to your town and you want us to come to your town and do it, we'll do it. Just give us a call. We'll set it up. Um, our kids think that they're invincible. I know because I used to be a kid and I thought I was invincible and I have three kids who at one point all thought they were invincible. Um, we, we teach this social media safety class that my, my now 19-year-old daughter, Mackenzie, thought up. She said, Dad, I think we should do this. Like, kids just aren't being safe. They're being reckless online. They're putting themselves at risk. They're opening themselves up to a world that they have no idea about. And we should do something. And you know, that was three years ago. And you know, we've We've done that class every month, free of charge, and sometimes multiple, multiple classes per month. Uh, we love doing that. Um, we need to not just have the talk with our kids. It's the conversations. It's an open conversation. That's what this class really does. It's, it's, not, a, uh, it's not a be-all, end-all conversation like, hey, we've had this talk. You know, now you know what to do. It's no, it's, hey, we're going to talk about this. And opening up those lines of conversation and, and talking with our kids in a way where they trust us and they don't feel like they're being convicted every time we have a conversation or they're, or they're going to be punished. Um, it's, it's just a good starting point. It's a jump off point for it. So um, we always post the information on our Facebook page about when those classes will be held. But like I said, if you're um, interested in setting up a, a date where Mackenzie and I come out and we share the social media safety class with your church, just the general public, whatever. Um, we would love to talk to you about that. So give us a shout again. It's um, our contact is 630-554-1404. 
or you can uh, send me a private message on the Facebook page or uh, shoot me an email, uh, chris at ink180.com. But what I'll, I'll say this, though. The best way to, to get us the fastest is either a Facebook private message to the Ink 180 page or a phone because I get about 3,000 3, emails a day, uh, about half of which are spam and junk that I have to go through and delete to get to the real emails. So, uh, But give us a shout. We would love to talk to you about that. Um, this week was very busy. Uh, you know, being the wintertime, it's kind of my season to go out and speak in the schools and churches and different events. Um, so if you're interested in having me come to your, your schools to speak, your event, whatever, your church, give me a call, contact me the same way. Um, I want to say thank you to uh, an amazing place in Wheaton, Illinois, called My Half of the Sky. It's a great little uh, coffee house and amazing food and coffee there. Probably the best coffee I've ever had in my life. The other night, um, Thursday night, did an event there. They invited me to come and speak. They showed our documentary um, about a month ago and invited me to come out there and speak and talk about the ministry and my life and the work that we're doing and kind of where we're hoping to go in the future. And we had a full house the other night. It was great, really good interactive discussion with folks. So I want to thank everybody that came out for that. Um, we are also going to be doing a social media safety class there in the very near future. Um, they had a huge amount of interest in doing that. Uh, it's right near Wheaton College, so a lot of, lot of college kids there and a lot of conversations that are going to be happening. But uh, thank you so much to my half of the sky. Go check them out if you're in or near Wheaton. You'll love it. Great little place downtown. A few announcements um, before we close things out. Um, I have a small group that I started at my church, Big Life Community Church here in Oswego. Um, I'm very passionate about getting people out of the church and into the community. Uh, I think it's amazing to go to church. I love my church. I love going to church on Sundays. I view it kind of as a pep rally to start the week. And then I go to work. Um, Jump is a small group that we started to help people make connections to ministries or ministry opportunities in the community. Um, so this week, we're going to uh, be having that meeting on Monday uh, at my church, at Big Life Community Church at 7 p.m. It's free. It's open to anybody. You don't have to be a member of my church. You know, I'd, I'd love to have you come in. And uh, we, we want to connect with other churches at Big Life Community Church. So uh, we love when folks from other uh, congregations come in and, and hang out with us and work together. So check that out. And kind of my, my last thing I want to stress um, is just kind of a plea to you to, to donate to Ink180.com. Uh, we, we need your help. This is our, like I said, it's our slow time for business, regular business. Uh, the winters always are uh, slower, which I don't understand necessarily because it's a great time to get a tattoo if you want to get one. You're not worried about swimming or right. s- sweating off tattoo ointment or anything. But yep. You know, come get a tattoo or, or make a donation at ink180.com or come by the shop for a tour. I'd love to show you around the shop, sit down, talk about what we do, have a cup of coffee and, you know, see how we can connect you to doing some stuff in the community as well. But uh, the ministry really needs your help. You know, we, we work with, with some uh, amazing law enforcement folks. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that we're funded by the FBI and Homeland Security and all those folks. And we're not. Um, we're funded by private folks that believe in our work and, and churches and that have me come and speak and, you know, different stuff like that, or just come get a tattoo. Cause I fund a lot of my ministry through my tattoo work. So 
one more announcement that we had. Um, we had an opportunity to buy the last 130 Inc. 180 documentary DVDs from TLN. They found 130 of them left. Um, so we actually have those and we're selling those. We sold about half of them so far. Uh, they're $25 with free shipping. And uh, if, you want, if you're interested in picking one of those up, give us a call at 630-554-1404. Uh, we can take orders online, but uh, give us a shout. We'd love to, to send those your way. They're a great stocking stuffer for Christmas. Uh, just a great way to see our clients in their own words talking about their lives, what they've been through, where they're at now, and uh, showing us doing the work that we do here at Inc. 180. So if you're interested, give us a shout. God bless you guys. I hope you have a great week. Um, pray for Jenna. Pray for Inc. 180. Pray for the community. Uh, there's a lot of people hurting out there. And pray for our veterans. And God bless them for the work that they did. Go out this week, guys. Have a great week. Make an impact in your community. And we'll see you next week. Close out with some POD. I conceive the unthinkable beyond visions and dreams. Some interpret the signs. It's all a mystery to me. But my